Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Discs Radio, and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today, I'm very honored to have as my guest singer, songwriter, guitar player, composer, and producer, Scott Merritt. We'll be talking about his many musical adventures, and we'll get some insights into the Canadian music scene from someone who's been part of it for many decades now. So thanks for joining me today, Scott. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm good. A little frazzled getting wired in here, but yeah, well, that's okay. So you're retro. You're a, you're a veteran. How about that? How does that feel? A, a veteran, <laughs> yeah, a, a lifer, yeah, a lifer. Well, the, the years go by fast. You know, it's funny because we we talk to the retro music makers that started in the '70s and '80s, and and one of the things that comes up all the time is the timelines and just looking back and go, "Well, I was fast." Well, yeah, 2024 here. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, a lot of the times when people bring up thing bring up shows and or records or whatever they it, to me it's almost a lot of times like it's another life though yeah. you know what i mean it's it yeah, is absolutely. like i don't know if it's like uh uh so much so that it's gone by fast it's more like oh yeah who was that 18 year old kid you know <laughs> there you go <laughs> right oh yeah what was i doing then and you know all that stuff yeah. so you were born in Brantford, is that right I was born in Burlington and oh, okay. uh, yep. moved to Brantford uh, for my uh, teenage yep. years. Yeah. Okay. And then so around Southern Ontario and then what was the deal? You had music lessons and training, you just got, got into the music scene. I mean, back in the seventies, we've said many times on the podcast, how cool it was to be in a band, right? That was the kind of the coolest thing right. to play guitar and sing. And, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't take any formal lessons. Um, so it was all kind of school of hard knocks. Um, yeah, I, and I did have a, yeah, for sure it was being in a band was sort of like a license or a secret society. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you were, you know, that's what it felt like a secret society because no one came (laughs) out, no one knew of you or knew what you're doing, but yeah. Well, no, the reason I ask that is because some guys come up, you know, they learn formal piano or formal guitar and other guys just go, you know what? We we wanted to form a band. We learned how to play three chords. Then we learned four chords and eventually we actually could play pretty good just by Uh, having fun. I don't know if we ever reached the stage of sounding pretty good, (laughs) 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 but we, we we sure had a lot of fun. I mean, it was like, really, that's literally going back to grade school for me. So yeah, no, um, that's great. It was a very, very fun time for music and there was a real excitement. And I mean, lots of people had sort of, I don't know, bands around, neighborhood bands and people practicing in the basement and trying to get something together. And so what happened for you? Like, did you have some kind of defining moment where you thought, you know, I can make something more of this than just, you know, playing with my buddies? It was always a little fuzzy whether it was, I would be able to make a go of anything. You know, uh, so, but I thought I would I would give it a try. Is sort of how I looked at it a- after um, school, and then I I just thought, well, I'll give it a go for six or seven months or something, and see if there's anything to be had. Because literally, uh, I mean, I was just you know blind phone calls. I had no no references, even though there were people that were yeah. trying to manage me even at the time, and and uh, but I. You know, I was still feeling like this is kind of like insane, but it was pretty strong <laughs> well, calling. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. sure you, you. I'm sure you had the same experience. It's like, you, well, I, yeah. Once yeah. it's in you, it, it's really hard to deny uh, to just turn it off and say, um, yeah. "It, I'm, I'll do it 
I'm I'm done with this. You know, I mean, I, yeah, right. I can't imagine that stage. It's just not an option. Well, and quite often I ask people, you know, was it planned or was it sort of happenstance or an accident? But um, for me, I know personally, like I didn't really overthink it that much. I mean, I just thought, well, I'm a musician. I'm going to play. I'm going to find gigs. I'm going to go do them and just follow my cool. nose wherever it goes, you know, and, and it, right. it worked out okay, but I didn't overthink it. Other people were very cerebral and like, okay, I got to do this and I got to plan that and I got to, oh. you know. No, no. <laughs> no, I wouldn't know how to. I guess there might have been a state, a state after you know, like after after some gigs, enough gigs went by, and uh, you know, I could afford an apartment of my own and all that stuff. I guess there was a stage then when I could actually kind of make some plans, you know, like right. work three or four months ahead or something. Yeah. But that's okay. it's that. I don't know if that even qualifies as plans at that point. Well, I guess it's it's usually a combination, right? You think, okay, I have a forward direction and we'll see what happens because you never know. But when you started out, if I said, if you said, uh, I want to be fill in the blank, what was your goal when you started? Like, What did you think would have been success? What was my goal? I just wanted to see whether I could make a living, you know, okay. like whether I could make a living because I was... It was always about writing songs. I mean, that was the first thing, right? I, I don't know. I'm not sure about whether that was your first thing or was that for you as well? Like the, well, yeah. Part sorry, of the package, go, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of the whole package for me at the beginning was, was okay. make, making up songs. And, um, you know, I mean, that goes back really far. Like that's, I can yeah. remember not even having an instrument and, uh, my mother's putting some elastics around a pie plate and that, and I remember sitting out in the backyard, you know, as a, before school, that would be like even before I went to school. So what is that? Five years old or something. Yeah. I'm out wow. there making up ditties by myself to the birds, you know, I mean, it's, it's like crazy. So that was the first thing, right? That was the, and that was a, that was the thing I couldn't really turn off at the beginning yeah. anyways. And, um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it just is what it is. Uh, the, the music, like, uh, the band was always doing this sort of really, we, the garage band was for me was riffs and right. okay. making shit up. You know, that's yeah. all it yeah. was always, it was a Friday night and a Sunday afternoon and we would just get together and make stuff up. And yeah. that, that it was kind of useless <laughs> but for, for anyone well, other than ourselves, you know. Yeah. Well, it has a value. I mean, I, I had a, a guy that I used to play with is a fantastic bass player and he had a really simple philosophy. I mean, he had some schooling, but, but really he just said, I try to find the notes that sound really good. And I try to avoid the ones that don't. That don't. <laughs> and that was it. And I thought, you know what? Good on you. I mean, yeah, so right. What, right. Nobody cares. Nobody needs an analysis of what you're doing. If it sounds good and they like it and it relates to them, then, then. Good. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Know, for sure. So. So with you, but I mean, you found your way, you got record deals, you did lots of live shows. I mean, you, you found your way through that whole morass and that whole business and, and landed somewhere. Yeah. It wasn't, ain't nowhere, ain't nothing, but <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Uh, no, I mean, I, I've honestly feel very lucky that, uh, I, it sounds like we came up in about roughly the same period of time. 
I don't know. I'm I'm probably a little bit earlier than you. Is that possible? Well, I was. Yeah. I grew up in the '60s and '70s, and I've been playing. I did my per- first professional gig in '76, and then played. I've played professionally and made a living for over 40 years now. Yeah. So, well, there you go. We're on the same page. Yeah. And 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 the the thing I I realize now is that regardless of how tough it seemed, if, if you told me at the time that that was a golden age, yeah, I would have I would have laughed. But yeah. Uh, now looking at it, I think that was a golden age. <laughs> it was hundred percent. Totally agree. Because there was a real buzz around music and people were excited about it. Lots of bands, lots. I mean, there was lots of competition too, but you find your way. And that's what I'm saying to you is that, that you found your way through all that, despite all the competition and the other people and competing agendas. And, and that's why I wanted to ask you about the genres. Like you're, you're more of a, a sort of a, reflective i don't know let's say a true singer songwriter right like the the Hmm. old singer songwriter is the guy that's got the guitar on his back and he's a troubadour and he just goes around and finds experiences and then he sings about those experiences and reflections on life and that seems to me what you are and what you did well i think that that's what i've always been attracted to when i first heard some people sing even if it was like not my music like the I think of people like Ray Charles or Hank Williams, and I, when I when I heard them, it felt like it felt like a true thing, you know what I mean? It felt like yep. the, a kind of truth, and that's what really kind of flipped me out, you know, uh, that, that that there was this um, that this was you're hearing something really vital, you know, like or um, you're hearing something that's very essential i guess is that that might be well, a better authentic, word authentic i think is you know that's the word i would use authentic you know like it, it's sort of like um like nowadays the singer songwriters aren't true singer songwriters they're manufacturing the songs or or like the, a lot of the cowboys like they, they've never ridden a horse in their life they're just sidewalk commandos they're not cowboys <laughs> right <laughs> you know yeah they're, just, they're not cowboys they're not writing about <laughs> riding the range even though they're singing about it <laughs> I, I think there's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm at like one of the things I feel lucky about in the last uh, 10 years, 15 years is this whole other universe that opened up working with other songwriters recording them. And um, I quickly realized that though there are real songwriters out there and they're young ones and they're, it, and they're doing it th- themselves and they're trying to get at some kind of essential thing. And some of it just, completely floors me honestly to some Good. of it and it, it's a lot of it is very humbling yeah. and so they're out there it may not be the time for that in the mainstream but it does it doesn't stop people from trying yeah. you know and okay. uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that actually thanks for sharing that because that's important we want the authenticity and the people that sing from the heart about experiences that matter to them that's what a singer songwriter is to me not a manufactured yeah. pablum to the people guy it's, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, uh, I I I would go back to where we were there for a second, uh, where you're saying authentic, and I was saying essential, and and I think uh, I agree the on the on the authentic part of it, but I think I would put a line between authentic and essential. Yeah, uh, there's okay. sort of like there's something when you're writing your song and you're and something kind of lights up in you when you're doing it. That to me, yeah. that experience is an essential experience. It's not like I'm feeling, oh, this is authentic. All I'm feeling is, 
this is better better than I am. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you right. Know, this is this is a bigger thing than I am, and right. it's and I've just got to do my best to try to do it some justice and spend some time with it and try to get it right. You know, yeah. I, I still feel the same way, and I see that in other kids. I see it in kids. You know. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great. And I, and I, I'm on the same page too. You, you reach down into your musical, your musical sensibility, wherever it is inside of you. And you try to draw things out and it's sort of that effervescence that comes about by the music that sort of comes from you. Like I often quote Wordsworth, cause he talked about poetry saying it was the spontaneous overflow of powerful emotions. That was what poetry wow. was to him. And I thought, well, that's music. That's music to me. Yeah. It's, 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 doesn't make it easy. <laughs> Doesn't make it, no. it easy as far as yeah. I still feel like for me, I still, uh, you know, I'm always making stuff up. And that's what yeah. I, I, like I said at the beginning, I, I think I said, the main thing is just making stuff up and feeling creative by making stuff up. And, yeah. uh, but you also want to do it. Um, you, the older I got, the more I realized I want to do it justice, you know. Yeah, right. I don't yeah. want to take it for granted. So it, that's a part for me that um, where it feels like it can be hard going sometimes because yeah. it only speaks at that kind of glowing kind of volume to me <laughs> at certain times, and I've really got to be paying attention closely. Yeah. Then otherwise, it'll be gone, and someone yeah. else will write it. <laughs> well, and the curious thing to me that is about the genres because you're you're a folk ish and and sort of adult contemporary i guess or or um what were your influences and then i listened to some of your stuff and i listened to some of your back catalog and you kind of float around a little bit like you got some quirky songs you got some band songs you got some songs that are really stripped down just guitar and voice and not much else not a mm -hmm. lot of harmonies what how did you manage the genres i didn't think about it like you like you were just saying you know you didn't overthink i i i just knew what i was sort of excited about at the time and what i felt often you know before i ever would except for the very ex the exception here would be the first record i guess because that was really like going to school making the first right. album okay but um but after that i didn't really want to record anything unless i felt like i had uh something that felt like it was contributing something you know what i mean I don't want to, uh, to me, it's got to be, feel like it's a conversation with time right now. You know what I mean? And if it doesn't feel like that, then I really don't want to make records. I just want to listen, you know, yeah. and try to, until something, you know, starts to feel like, well, this is kind of, this feels like me and this feels like uh, it's in conversation with that thing I just heard the other day, you know, from Dua Lipa or something. I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't. Yeah. I would never make that stretch, but you know, uh, something to that, to that, like, uh, so, you know, like William yeah. Blake or something. Okay. So from a musician's perspective, I, I buy that a hundred percent, but you had record deals and stuff. I mean, they have to pigeonhole you in some way as, as much as you yeah, may resist that, that. I was really lucky there, Dan. I mean, I, I, I was, I was lucky. I mean, there was, there was a lot of, um, well, I mean, the work was there, you know, I mean, the, 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 it all happened very organically that, you know, I made this record by on my own. I made a, and it sold enough uh, independently through me licking stamps and sending them out and going to the record stores that I could make another record. And that, and, and the first, that first record did get, you know, I would 
turn on the radio coming home from someplace and how the hell did that get on the radio? <laughs> you know what I mean? And the, and the same thing happened with the second. And then, you know, then some guy's calling me It's sort of the age of much music. And he's calling me and saying, I'm a film student. I'm thinking of making a movie. I really, I love that show. And, you know, I saw you somewhere. I had no idea where he was from. And he made a little film and then that was right at the front of the video much music thing yeah so that kind of you know they're looking for content (laughs) i guess so that just sort of organically happened and then the record companies call after that because they see this guy's getting attention he's surviving you know so it's like okay so let's let's give our listeners a little background here so in 1979 you, you had desperate cosmetics right um and that was the album that you your first album that you self-produced yeah well yeah i produced it at yeah, grand avenue there yeah yeah okay and then you became an engineer and producer right away i mean some people make that transition but you were one of those guys i guess you were in there hunched over the console and trying to make things happen and figure out how things work so you were involved in that side of it too right uh it, not the first one and the and the second one i started learning a little bit just by okay. paying because i was really interested in uh the, the very front end of digital technology. So I right. was, I was sort of really curious about uh, loops, yeah. uh, ta- tape loops and uh, sort of just how to accomplish weird things in the studio and, and try to integrate, okay. integrate those weird things, what people were considering outsider yeah. stuff at the time, trying to integrate it into more of the personal songwriter world and try to see if I could make something out of that. And that's what the second record was. I was not engineering that. That was Greg Roberts and that one and Dan Lanois on the first one. Yeah. So you um, produce, so on the first one you get production, it says produced by Scott Barrett, engineered by Dan Lanois. Yeah. Right. And okay. and the second one was, I kind of look at that as Greg Roberts uh, helping me uh, right. become a producer. Uh, gotcha. So, and then, after that where the label deals kind of came in after that yeah and then they they sort of well yeah i was curious about that because some guys are really they really take to the technical side but i, I did a little bit but I, I just couldn't spend the amount of time in a studio that's required i'm not i'm not that guy that's going to do 12 14 hour days in the studio hunched over a console it's just not me you not know, that I, uh, I like not that guy <laughs> no yeah i get <laughs> but, uh, it yeah but i know yeah. some you know you and i both know guys who are and they love it and their eyes light up and go wow you got this and they got the racks and they got all their new toys and but uh, my point being that that you were sort of everything was an integral part of it for you i guess you're in the studio you're trying to get the songs on there you're trying to produce them uh the best that you can and get them out there and then you're not genre specific but you are um let's say recognizable. I mean, like on your first album, like I listened to a bunch of the songs, you got some fast picking, some cool grooves. You got a couple of quirky songs and you got some electric guitar in there. So it's not, it's not really pigeonholed. You're kind of, you're kind of going where you feel you need to go. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and to be also to be clear, just to clarify, I mean, um, that after the first two records, I sort of surrendered production, this production title to other people. Um, once I was with labels, that was sort of, um, you know, that was sort of just part of the deal that I'm, I was looking forward to that and I totally embraced it at the, uh, the the times that I did that. Did you get assigned a producer by the record label? No, no, I got to, I got 
to present a wish list. Okay. Again, again, luck that the labels were those kind of labels that they were. They sort of said, "Well, this guy's done it a couple times," and you know, let him <laughs> at least put a voice in. Well, no, it's a good point because I've I've had a few friends who were assigned a producer, and in a couple of cases, for sure, they didn't like the guy, and and so now you've got an, a, a producer assigned by the record company. They're putting up the money, and you're in there nose to nose with some guy who doesn't really get your vibe. Yeah, I was totally couldn't do that. I'd be a, <laughs> that'd be a nightmare for me. Well, I mean, there was, was you know, <laughs> I always had differences with producers. Sometimes, at some points, there would have been uh, that stuff going on, but it was always a give and take thing, and I was up for that at the time. Less so now than I, I, I yeah. would be much less so up for that now than I was then. I just am more stubborn now. I suppose. But I mean, if you look at it like a coach, you know, they push you, they, they make you do stuff you wouldn't otherwise have done in some cases. Oh man, totally, completely. And I I loved the two people I worked with for, I thought I still completely respect them and, uh, have super fond memories of hanging out for, you know, half a year or so with them. Cool. So in, so in 82, then serious inference came out and that was, that was still you that you did that in Hamilton with Greg Roberts. And there's some cool stuff on there. I listened to ping pong. You got the Travis picking going on there and it's kind of high. You do a lot of high capo stuff, I think. Right. Yeah. That, that song was actually this thing I, I found one day with when I put the capo kind of half on the half over the strings in a harmonic position. So the oh. capo is sort of set over uh, around the, I guess, what is that? The eighth fret, is that? Where there's okay, a yeah, harmonic? high, yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of rests there in a certain kind of tuning. And yeah. um, so you can pick and you're getting mostly harmonic sounds and you could play these cool. notes with the frets in front of the capo like you normally would, but you're, everything else is kind of more like a drum. I was kind of excited by the sound of that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And then you kind of, you go back and forth too, cause you have th- some sad and reflective songs like it, like, uh, there you are, right. It's got the pad in the background you got the mood. So you, you have the bouncy sort of quirky fun stuff. And then you got the really deep reflective, you know, but maybe too deep for some people, but it, it kind of makes you feel right. Uh, <laughs> a little, a little, uh, pushing my luck there maybe <laughs> no. like, doing going from one extreme to the other i remember trying to sequence records was always kind of like well what are you thinking merit <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, <laughs> but, just put it out there and see what happens i guess that's right? exactly cool. it and it yeah. worked out okay yeah so then you got a so you got your record deal it, it says your duke street records that would have been around 85 mid 80s and then you got transistor out so that was a single that that went to uh to radio, well, I'm assuming. Yeah, uh, Transistor was on the Serious Interference record, and part of my deal with Duke Street was they would re-release that Serious Interference album, and uh, then we would make quote unquote five more albums. So did um, they re did they re-record anything or remix or no, remaster? No, no, no. They offered oh, okay. to do that, but okay. I didn't really want to do that, and. Um, uh so yeah that that i i'm trying to remember to be honest because it is another life it's a lifetime yeah, ago <laughs> but i'm uh there there might have been i know there was talk in the video stage of being doing an edited version so much could use it more often okay because it was a long song that's a long song right i was, I was like, going to ask you about that if there was a radio edit there must have been 
There might have been it? with the Duke Street. I don't remember that. Okay. I don't remember that being an audio edit because I I remember saying to the video guy, no, let's just keep the video the, the length you, we have it because it's okay. kind of, um, it was a movie and he put so much work into it. Well, it's so, about eight minutes long, right? It's just, yeah, just over eight yeah. minutes, I think. Yeah, yeah it's, so. it's a it's a stretch. But yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, nowadays it would be for sure. Like the cut it, wrap it, freeze it generation is, you know, three minutes and 20 seconds and have a nice life. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I love a lot of three minute songs, but that oh, wasn't sure. one of them. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I watched the video. It's a concept video, right? You got the dominoes falling and, and there, it's, it's a bit of a social commentary about technology, I guess, right? I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I don't know when you make, when you're writing your songs, Maybe you have this experience from time to time where you write it and it becomes the truth. It becomes real. <laughs> that well, song was kind of a bit like that. I kind of, the longer I live, the more I believe, man, how did I know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> how did so I know that it was going to own us this way? Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, you know, part of being a songwriter, I, I took a writing course one time years ago and, and the, the instructor said, well, just walk around and look at things and make little notes and just be an observer and just look, uh, right? And, and that's what songwriters do, right? You just look around and you observe and then you reflect on those observations and then they come out as a song. And sometimes they're prophetic. In, in that case, you could see where that was going. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I was just feeling my way with that writing. I remember, I do remember that writing the song and I, I remember the sensation of writing it and like that yeah. l light coming on. And uh, I remember I was in the basement of my mom's dad's place in Brantford and beside the freezer and the, you know, the echoplex was sort of giving me the, <laughs> the rhythm of it and all that yeah. stuff. I, it was, I was, I remember it very clearly the, the making of that song and it, yeah. it really did, uh, it did, did provide me a kind of a stepping stone into a whole other universe in a way. Yeah. Well, and then, so you had overworked and underprivileged. You did a, that was your most successful single on radio, I guess, from what I've, I'm reading here. Okay. And, and you did a much music video. Yeah. Yeah. So, used, and that was played quite a bit and I, I saw the, the graphic on there. So you got, so you're, you're strutting at that point, right? You got a song on much music. You're, uh, you're there. Right. <laughs> Feeling good. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> I own the world. Exactly. Yeah. Get off my cloud. Anyway. <laughs> you peasants. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> no, no, so, I, 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 I'm, yeah. I hope I wasn't like that. <laughs> well, it's more of a band song too, right? That's not the typical oh, singer song. Very true. That's so true. Yeah. That yeah. The, the, the thing, the other thing that, uh, serious interference allowed me, uh, as a stepping stone was to, you know, there's more, more invitations to play and the, the invitations were lucrative enough that, that I could, for, you know, I could see, I could make, put a band together and these guys that I'm working with in the studio, you know, they were, they were always up for that kind of stuff, fortunately. Yeah. So, well, um, cause you got the whole band in the video. There's about seven guys there. I think it's, yeah. Uh, I think six or seven. Uh, sure. yeah, there, there's, there's at least five that the, 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 the band at the time, the band at the time, the one we were touring a little bit with was, uh, David Woodhead on bass, Bob DeSally on drums, 
uh, Doug Wild on keyboards, Matt Zimbel on percussion. So what is that? Five, five of us. Yeah. Well, I saw there's an overhead flat. I mean, you must've spent some money on that video. You got the flying car oh, that smashes. Oh, man. Into, I mean, it was crazy. It was yeah. crazy. Like by today's standards. Yeah. And yeah, there, there was like a helicopter to sh do the, sh the roof shots because there was no drones. Right. <laughs> that right. Time. That's what I was thinking. I was thought, okay, somebody spent some money on this because you got a flying car that smashes into a field. You got the, the, the aerial <laughs> shot of the band and the other stuff. And I'm like, okay. Oh man. The car, <laughs> the car was the, was a, a Russian Lada. And that's it, what I used to tour the solo uh, when I was playing solo and it was really, I had a van at the time that was good, but it just drank too much gas and yeah. that I'm traveling with, you know, five instruments. So why do I need a van for? So right. I would, I used my girlfriend's car at the time, who's now my wife, uh, Sue. And right. she, she let me use her car when I was playing these gigs and it was the worst car in the world. Do you know anything about Lotus? Uh, no. <laughs> oh man. They're the, they're like the worst. They're the worst example of, like anytime I find myself looking at a Russian microphone now, I say, remember the Lada. Yeah, there you <laughs> because, go. <laughs> because it's like, it was unbelievable. You'd be, you know, you come down in the morning and the windshield wipers would be going. Or Jeez, you, it would, you'd be driving on the highway at a, a hundred and, well, it would go maybe 105 kilometers an hour. It, yeah. it would stop. Well, it would stop on the highway. And, it, you know, it was, it was just a, the brakes kind of worked. It was kind of like a horse in the end. It would be like, Whoa. it was like you, it was like you would do kind of what you told it to do. You know, <laughs> you turn the wheel and kind of turn that way. You yeah. hit the brakes and you kind of stop. Jeez. So, so we offered it up on, to the video maker. We said, Oh, it was like a sacrifice. I'd love to see this, <laughs> give this thing a, yeah, just give this thing a good, a good sending off, please. It was smashed. It was totaled. Yeah. So they gave us a budget to more than what the record was going to give us. There you go. <laughs> well, that's funny. And then, so, so again, though, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're playing with the genres a little bit, cause that was more popish adult contemporary. I don't know how you'd categorize it or if you even need to accept it, it was a departure from the, the straight up acoustic stuff that you had been doing for right? sure. Yeah. And, and so, and then, um, what about the social commentary? Like, do you use your songs for some kind of a social message or a social commentary? I don't think so. I don't know. I sort of gave up on that after Bob Dylan. I mean, I, yeah. I thought, you know, who's going to do this better than, and, and even he gave up on that. Right. Generally speaking, right. like he, if you, you could call, uh, you could call some of these things, uh, social commentaries, but I, I don't know. That's kind of a, I don't know. I thought she seems like a bit of a stretch or po po political. Well, I guess or something. It I just sounds kind of like it's po political music. I, I I never was big on that kind of thing. Okay. I, I I'm sure it crept in there. There was a song on Gravity Is Mutual. It was called uh, well, just the name of the album, I guess. But uh, Gravity Is Mutual is kind of social commentary. But the 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 song I was thinking of was um, Benefit of Clergy. Okay. I guess that's, I guess that's kind of a social commentary that, you know. Well, sometimes it's social commentary by default because you're just reflecting on things in society that you see and things that you're observing. Other people have more of an agenda to kind of, you know, make some there, social there you change. Go. That, that great. Yeah. I go with that. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So, and then the other thing is too, I often ask people, you know, how much of what you did is a function of the time. And certainly in a case of Bob Dylan that you bring up, I mean, a lot of what he did was a function of the sixties and of that time. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He, he couldn't, couldn't do it now. And the thing is, it's, it's, it's also that new element 
isn't it? It's like that thing of when something new appears, feeling the feeling of it being new anyways, even though Dolan sounded like he was 100 years old already. But, you know, it's like that kind of Nova. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, his images, I mean, like like when you sing uh, like a Rolling Stone and stuff, there's some really great lines in that song. Oh, just, or he images kills and, me. He just yeah. kills me still to this day. Yeah. You know, um, Napoleon and rags. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, it just never yeah. ends. And, yeah. So, you know, he did, there's, yeah, and he's still at it to today. I mean, all those. Yeah, that's, I guess that's anything I've heard. Anything I've heard, uh, there's always been at least one or two pieces on an album that just sort of stopped me in my tracks still. Yeah, so for you, so you got through the 80s and you got into the 90s and, and your fourth album, uh, Violet and Black, was released on Duke Street in Canada. And then eventually that that all kind of came to an end, I guess. The record companies went down. Is that, uh, I mean, lots of record companies came and went. You couldn't even keep track of yeah. them. But- Violet and Black... I've, I've, yeah, so 89, and in 89, I was still with Duke Street, and that started as a Duke Street record. Uh, but, but no, it uh, it was started as a, a deal, uh, that was the first American deal with IRS records, um, okay. Miles Copeland's label. Um, and uh, so they were quite involved, and most of it, uh, I think four songs were recorded in toronto oh, i may got i may got this wrong but i think four songs yeah. were in toronto and the rest was in los angeles um one was yeah, in so new york i think it was, yeah i see so, yeah it's here on the credits it was all over the place because engineered by eric westfall at low tech santa monica tracks recording in hollywood and then manta sound and then yeah Berkeley, yeah and, yeah and then you, okay so yeah it was one of those records where you put together in numerous places yeah you know most of it was like the stuff in New York was just a weekend, basically doing a weekend in New York. The okay. LA thing was more like going down and living there for half a year or so, hanging out. So, um, yeah, it, yeah that was a, a tumultuous time in in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I, I, I was also a new dad at that point. So, oh, gee, okay. Um, so that was really hard to be away at that point for my son's uh, first year. Especially for that long, right? And, and of yeah. course, when you're under a record contract and you've got a serious project on the go, you're kind of married to it at that point. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I really wanted, I knew that, you know, being the first American deal, that it, it was important to get it right. And uh, for me to get it as right as I could get it for myself. Right. Yeah. And so I was I was in, and fortunately, Sue was super supportive, so okay. she let me go. I mean, it was really difficult, though, man. I'm, you know, as you can imagine, long distance calls before cell phones or Zoom and stuff. So you get to call yeah. once or twice a week. And yeah, I lived it, man. I was out of town one. The last time was for six weeks, and I came back, and my son, you know, didn't recognize me and pulled away from me and stuff. It just ripped. My wow, yeah, that, just, that's that's it, man. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah, yeah. It's I know I can totally identify. Yeah, with that. So I just came um, back to Vancouver and said, "I'm going to make a living around here. I don't care. I don't need to be a rock star. I need to raise my kids and be a good guy." Oh, cool. So, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I kind of. I think I eventually got there. I still had some jam to kick out, <laughs> but I before I got there. But I did. I think I. So, but life around. changed for you quite a bit at that point, right? Because the record deal kind of went away or, or the yeah. record company shifted and then you came back to Toronto, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. Yeah. IRS, uh, Duke street more or less folded, I believe at that time. Hmm. I, I, I actually 
I remembered I I I I was really uh, feeling like they weren't able to help me much at the time. They were, uh, and I was kind of just really stubborn about stuff. So I wanted, I really was really encouraging trying to get off the label at the time, okay. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm not sure that was the the right thing to do. I, Cause I, I, you know, looking back now, I, I realize how much I loved all those people, but, um, right. uh, but the, you know, it just seemed like it wasn't being uh what would you call that? Uh, sort of just get, there wasn't enough of a feedback loop to, be, feel like it was being constructive so i uh, and in you know working with arthur and in states and all those people that it, it's it was feeling much more like well this is where i should really be focusing right now so yeah but i did that and then of course irs folded within a okay year or so and let's see also, that's yeah also yeah. at the same time the 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 label irs so I was signed to IRS in Canada after that for the same record. So it was kind of re-released. And it was, kind of, and then you know, then the IRS about a year later was sort of uh, bowing out of the picture. Yeah, for everyone. Yeah. Well, so, it's a it, you know, it's a push pull, and I've talked to lots of people about the record deals and stuff. And you know, in some ways, it's great because it's your it's your gateway into where you want you think you want to be. But it's also yeah. your prison because you're bound to them. Yeah. You're bound by what they do. So it's a push pull, right? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I'm pretty stubborn <laughs> and I wouldn't make a record unless I felt like I had enough songs. But I remember that feeling though, after signing the first time I signed the deal, after I signed it, I was driving home and I thought, what have I done? Like, you know, yeah, like, you like yeah. I was like, I'm supposed to come up with an album every year. And this uh, record yeah. took me two years to come up with this one. You know, who knows how long the next one's going to take. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's like, okay, only make it. I don't, I, I just don't, I don't want to just be doing it for the sake of making tunes and getting them on the radio. It's got to well, be something yeah. a bit more than that. Right. And well, that's and right. I'm, that's why you started in the first place was to express yourself musically. Now you're cut it, wrap it, freeze it guy. You know, we yeah, you like, wait, how, <laughs> how did I get here? Yeah, there you <laughs> so, go. Thank you, David so, Byrne. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and again, I often reference a friend of mine who had a, a fairly major sort of medium hit song, and then the record company said, we need 10 more songs just like that one. Goes, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Of course, because they want to sell 10 more songs just like that one. He goes, well, that's not what I do. I can't, you know, recreate. You know, it's sort of like uh, Maggie May and You Wear It Well with Rod Stewart, right? Which are basically the same song. The record company probably gave him that speech, right? Well, Maggie yeah. May was really big. We need another song just like that. So he writes You Wear It Well, which is basically the same song. <laughs> I feel so lucky that I didn't have those guys. Yeah. The A&R guys Apparently. I had were so long-armed. Yeah. You know, they, they, even the one, even Duke Street, even in those, even though I was sort of pulling away from them, they were super long-armed about stuff and this yeah uh, cool. you know that i was very very lucky i know the people i know that the the artists you're talking about those sorts of conditions and that kind of music that uh and the pressure uh, right yeah i mean so yeah i still had pressure but i was uh really thick thick in the head about uh you know <laughs> what they they couldn't get through to me. Enough yeah, there you to go. Care enough, I guess you know. Well, and then and then you had this other side 
thing going too, right? You were a producer and engineer, and then you've got uh, Cottage Studio. Well, in that, so it's in Guelph, Ontario. That's my hometown. That's where I was born. Oh, really? Yeah, I was born in Guelph, and uh, wow. yeah. So, and you have your studio there. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, is that where you yeah. live now? Yeah. Oh, okay. There you yeah. go. Yes. Yeah. So the 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 studio is you know, the bottom of the house. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about that. How that, did that just kind of evolve or did you just pivot and go, okay, well, I'm just going to record other people and kind of make some money doing that. Well, it was pretty organic again. You know, I think, uh, I just sort of followed my nose and a friend right around the time that, uh, after I made, oh, it's meant so wild when I think of this timeline, <laughs> I don't think of this very often, this stuff, uh, so when I finished Violet and Black, toured it, and came back to basically that radio, you know, that terrifying silence that you come back to after you've toured, <laughs> and uh, uh, I thought, what am I going to do? And you know, phone rang. It was a friend, and he was making a record independently. That's what it was. Okay. And so we made a record independently. That. You know, I just invited him to the place because I had some gear for demoing stuff. So he made a really simple record together, and it did pretty well for him. He was a really, I really liked his songwriting at the time. Yeah, and uh, and he got a deal. So you know, he he was kind of uh, loyal, I guess you'd call him. Super. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's a loyal friend, if nothing else, yeah. and uh, gave me the leap of faith and talked the record company into letting me uh, produce it. And, uh, oh, nice. so yeah. that just sort of brought, brought its own steam with it. And, you know, as we start to accumulate gear to accomplish the, yeah. to have the tools you need to get the jobs you, that are, you need that you're, are in front of you that you have to do. And that's yeah. basically all I did until I ended up with this kind of, well, you had of, a fair bit of experience. So you brought a lot to the table at that point, right? You'd been to some big studios, you'd, you'd cut your teeth on your own albums and, and learning from other people. So you brought a lot to the table, I would assume. I hope that's true. And uh, I think, yeah, Fred did all right with those records. So yeah, I guess there was something to it at the time. It felt like we were brailing, you know, well, I guess, but, <laughs> and, and, uh, but, you know, the one thing that I might have gained from all of that hubbub in the 80s was that, um, you know, you get a bit of an antenna for when things are lifting up yeah. out of off of the tape or when they're yeah. when you're hearing something that feels like, I believe that guy. Yeah. There why don't go. I believe yeah. that? Why don't I believe that guy? The guy that we had five minutes ago. I don't know yeah. what happened. Yeah. I don't know. But I believe this guy. What happened? Was it the bridge? No, I don't think it was the bridge. I think <laughs> something, something changed. So it's, it's still a mystery, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I got, uh, but I, I do have an antenna. I know that I got an antenna yeah. for when I'm believing it. Like most people, I think have the same antenna. It's just, just dumb luck well, and waiting, you know? Well, and then you go ahead and do it too. Like we said before, you don't overthink it. You go, okay, well, sh the guy goes, can we do that? You go, yeah, sure. And then you figure it out, right? You, like like Tony Robbins says, you just take action and then you fix things as you go and you get more gear and then you work it out and you repair stuff. I mean, you've spent probably thousands of hours in the studio fixing and recording and, and polishing things up. And I guess that's just part of the process, right? I think uh, whatever it is we do, which yeah. seems to change from artist to artist, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, whatever it is we do, it's yeah, it's it's like accumulated accumulated understanding 
but uh, there's always a and there's still honestly still a lot of mystery to me about well, the when things how things get up off of the yeah. tape you know what or the digital recorder whatever. well you've got a long list of credits if people want to check out your website at scottmerritt.com you've got a, a credits page there and that speaks well of of what you've done it's not to, to be braggadocious but just to to show people that you've certainly accomplished a lot of things and worked with a lot of different artists and and different genres too i'm assuming just all over the place yeah all over the place <laughs> which is that's okay yeah have I'm you done so... soundtracks and jingles and stuff too no i never oh. I never did the jingles, um, had lots of friends that made a good living from jingles, yeah. but, uh, I just couldn't, uh, quite get my head there. Okay. And the, uh, I did a very little soundtrack work, uh, the same kind of thing where I just didn't feel quite comfortable, uh, like I belong there. So I just stuck with songwriting and songwriters and, uh, trying to make that, uh, trying to make a go of that. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I appreciate that because you're right about the jingles. I have a few friends that have made good living doing that too, but it's a different world. And in the soundtrack world too, when you get the video and they want music to it, that's, it's cool, but it's a different animal. It's not the creative process that, that you and I would be worth uh, used to. It's not something I would do. I have a little okay. mini studio, but uh, I'm not a tech, a tech enough guy. I have my own studio at home, but I'm not, you know, at your level or, or what, the the big boys would do so i just do my little demos and that's good enough for me yeah well yep. a lot of those little demos you know <laughs> sound pretty good to me some of them, people... some of them could be good yeah 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 so, so and then you got lots of good press too you got lots of the music critics you know i mean of course you don't post the the bad ones if there is any but you got lots of good ones so that's nice yeah well it's, <laughs> i was really lucky there as well you know that you know, uh, the right people came to the right shows, I guess, for the yeah. most part. Uh, I only really remember one bad thing, one bad press thing, and it yeah. just about killed me. Yeah, you know? there you go. Yeah. It just about killed me. Yeah, uh, yeah so I, I feel like I got out while the getting was good, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, watched, I watched some of your live. Like, the, I think there was one thing you were doing live and stuff, and you're, you're very authentic. I mean, you just sit there and you tell the stories, you play the songs, and it's very, very palatable to a wide range of people. And, and yeah. it's, you know, it's easy to listen to, and and it's authentic. So, I mean, well, what, do you want? what do you want out of life, right? Uh, I, I appreciate that, yeah. But, so, yeah, so... So what do you think about AI? I always ask my guests this now because it's really coming to the fore. And as a guy that owns a studio and who writes singer-songwriter songs, what do you think uh, the artificial intelligence is going to do for lyrics writing and, and, and melodies and stuff? I haven't really explored it that much. Okay. Like, like really, I haven't really, I've read a lot of stuff about it. Um, anything I've seen that's written that by AI so far, doesn't do much for me um so it doesn't get through to me that doesn't yeah. mean it can't work you know uh i know i know some artists are kind of uh embracing it as a kind of a a you know uh, i read some good things laurie anderson had to say about it where she was talking about working in close cahoots with uh, ai company in australia i think she said okay um yeah. and uh feel so that they were kind of trying to really program the algorithm to know Laurie Anderson, you know? Right. <laughs> and yeah. so working it from that point. And I, I also in art and visual art, which I'm all, always been really interested in anything I've seen 
AI generated really doesn't just do anything for me yet. You know, I'm, right. so, so, I but, but you speak to a larger point there because you could have art produced by people who are not artists, a beautiful painting, a beautiful song that, that AI has written the melody for and the lyrics for, and that person couldn't play a note if their life depended on it. You're going to see yeah. that, right? I, I, like I said, I don't, I haven't seen the lyrics, the lyrics that I have seen, I don't find them beautiful. I find them okay. kind of fragmented and hit and miss, very hit and miss within a verse. They yeah. look very hit and miss. Okay. And the, and the art that I've seen looks kind of like, well, it's kind of got a lot of colors and kind of got some balance and, but it doesn't really do anything. It's not like standing in front of a Rothko painting or something and, and having that vibration come off of that huge piece of canvas, you know, or. Right. Yeah. Fair. Or, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I sound like a skeptic. I, I think I am a skeptic. <laughs> I think so I'm on, a skeptic. But on the other side of that, if somebody hears a song and they go, I really like that song. And then you say, well, that was completely generated by AI from some computer nerd back in, you know, Massachusetts, Like people don't care. They, they, they like it or they don't, and they don't really care where it came from. So I think, and then also AI will have the ability to scan all the known melodies and then write unique melodies based on the knowledge, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it's so far from how I, how I make stuff that I, yeah, I just can't, I, I just, it's just so hard to, for me to, to imagine ever reading a, a verse and having it, you know, make the hair on the back of my neck stand up or break my heart or right. you know, like a uh, Ray Charles Kenner, you know, with yeah. just by saying baby, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so like, how does that happen? I don't well, know. And then you're old school like me, like, so at the age that we're at, I'm just going to ride it out old school. I'm not going to embrace that. I'm not a loop guy. I don't, I'm not going to play to a looper. I'm not going to sing, you know, Justin Bieber songs. I'm not, I'm not going to chase that, but I'm an older guy. I'm just thinking of the, the people coming up. They're going to miss what we had, which was the raw sort of emotion and playing. And, and one guy wrote an article about how the seventies music was perfectly imperfect. You know, there's some hacks in it and stuff, and it's not always perfect, but it's perfect in its imperfect way. That's a great point. Yes. And, uh, uh I, I mean, uh, I'll quickly clarify too, just to, I'd actually embrace a lot of technologies, but but it's just the AI thing that I'm not quite there with. Okay. Like I do embrace, uh, to a degree, I really embrace uh, the editing capabilities or, you know, the automation capabilities that are out there now. Um, yeah. I don't embrace many of the audio plugins that are emulating tube gear because I've been able to compare the two sounds okay yep. so but i would embrace other things that are like uh, tools uh that are kind of corrective hyper kind of molecular corrective uh applications that you can get for some audio that you know tick removals or those sorts of things i can i can sort of get well, behind fair enough. that yeah that's a fair point you're, you're assisting the natural process you're not replacing the natural process there you go right yeah yeah, yeah, and, and that's I'm, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense to me. I'm, yeah, I must say that I'm. I really try to avoid being the the get off my lawn kind of guy, <laughs> and and uh, but uh, more and more with 
a lot of sort of mainstream pop music, I'm feeling like that. Like, and I, I, it's shocking to me because I've always had a soft spot for a great pop song. But a lot of the great pop music, what's being called great pop music right now, sounds so owned by a computer. It sounds so like the computer is uh, the computer is responsible for the outcome of the song in a way, and I find that kind of terrifying on a lot of levels. Well, I, I, I guess I kind yeah. of identify with the slippery slope of embracing technology, and you know, just sort of wow, this can we can cut this thing and move it over here now, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, now yeah, we maybe. can now we can cut the head off a monkey and put it on a zebra. Listen to that, you yeah. know. Uh, you know, there's another part of me that just is like, uh, oh my goodness, we're missing something very important here. We're going to wake up from this. Well, dream. a lot of it, it, from my analysis is a lot of it is what I call pablum to the people, right? You got a bunch of songwriters, they got some hook, they, they generate it. They got a, a tone running underneath it. They got a drum machine, whatever. That's not like listening to a Kansas album or a Steely Dan album or something that, that you're really inside the track and you love it because it's so beautifully produced by real players. My point is a lot of those listeners are kind of passive. They're walking through Walmart. They hear some flipping pablum coming across the thing. They don't care. They're not even engaged in it. They're not, they're not inside the track or anything. It's just flowing over them in a, in a passive sort of way. Right. So there's a yeah. lot of that. Yeah, but you know, there's also this, there's this great stuff going on out there, and it's but but even that stuff that I thought was so great, like the sort of sound sculpture stuff, you know, the uh, like a lot of the hip hop things are sonically really pushing envelopes, right? right. It's, yeah. it's all these kind of crazy arrangement things, but eventually, it just makes me feel like this is being, you know, the artists are owned by this by the system. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, I, I guess there'll be people that could argue with that and just say, you know, well, an instrument is an instrument, and uh, you you're owned by your guitar or you're owned by your ukulele well. or whatever. <laughs> but but um, no, it's sort of there's something else like like if you take the if you take this element this tool away this one tool there's no legs here like there's not a you can't sing this in the field you know what I mean right. you can't sing this when you're you know, you can't sing this on the work gang or you can't sing this yeah. when you're. Well, that's, you, and, and you're a living example of that. And so I listened to all your tunes that like the videos you have on there from 2015, right? So you've got uh, Solomon and Everwill and Repo and stuff, and they're very stripped down, really nice, clean, smooth guitar playing and singer songwriter stuff, right? You're telling stories. And so you're, you're the antithesis of what we were just talking about, right? In I think, I think that's, I, I appreciate you saying that. In a way, even though it sort of also puts me well outside of hope and, <laughs> but but uh, uh, for being accepted, but but no, that 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 uh, I I think that my feeling at the time of making uh, that record was, um, I really felt that thing of um, I've got all these tools, but they mean nothing to me in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? So I literally stripped it down to. I really wanted to make a record that was just the ukulele. There's no guitar on that record. It's all ukulele played in a, with a, in a more like a harp would be played. Is what I was going. Well, for. that's what I thought. I listened to it and I thought he's got a really high capo on an acoustic, like a cat string, a cat gut string guitar or a nylon string guitar. And then I looked at it and I said, "Oh no, you're playing in a." Yeah, it's like a, a bigger one though, isn't it? It's it's not. Yeah, a, yeah, it's a yeah, it's more like a con. Uh, what do they call that? I think it's a yeah, tenor. I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I wanted just to be that that instrument. I thought, yeah. oh, there, now I'm in the conversation. I'm saying, oh, yeah, well, just write a song. <laughs> you know yeah, there you I mean? go. Yeah. That's what I felt like uh, saying to uh, my friends that were getting so buried in their computers. Um, yeah. And, and, but I couldn't do it. Uh, that it wasn't essential enough. It was so hard to be that essential after having worked with the idea of arrangements and things that, that I couldn't break it down that far. So, you know, I had to introduce, I said, I kind of had to break the rules as I went. I said, okay, well, two other instruments, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. all. No more than two other instruments. Okay. okay. Well, you have some, yeah, you have some horns on there and you got some, you know, that you're capturing the vibe, right? You have some yeah. smooth horns and there's a pads and synth in a couple spots. Yeah. To create a mood, right? Trying to that trying candle. to give a, some shape to a the all the uh, amorphous kind. Well, of that, stuff. that candle tray is nice, though. I like that. I I, I listen to that, and it sounded well, really thanks. good. Yeah. So, but you know, it's like in the '80s when the drum machines came out. Remember, everybody saying, "Oh my God, you know, the drummers, what's going to happen?" Well, there's still lots of drummers around, and they're still doing fine. And and we just did a record with a real drummer, and it sounds great to me. So yeah, you know, yeah, it yeah, doesn't completely it. change. Yeah, there's something, uh, the, the record I've just been working on for Richard LaViolette was, uh, although, you know, all the records that have happened that I've been involved with the last three years, even through COVID, they're all people in a room. Yeah, you organic. Know, even, even, yeah. In, even in COVID, uh, you know, like there was uh, stuff that was being sort of uh, sent to me that had been done prior to COVID that was people in a room. But it was so great to have, the reminder of that it's so every time i see it i think there really isn't anything like this when people are playing together in the room the singers playing the singers singing the singers yeah. playing the yeah. drummers right there they're they're actually there's vibrations in the air when they hit their instrument there's a vibration coming into their hand it's informing how they're singing it's informing how they're uh, responding to the vibration from the kick drum over there <laughs> you know yeah. All those things that they really can't, and you, you know, you, you hear that that's the difference between Aretha Franklin and and a lot of the modern R and B. You know, it's it's just when I hear it, I think, what's the difference? I can, I believe there's a room here, and there's not a room over here. You know, yeah. no, I hundred percent agree. I I couldn't agree with you more. That's how uh -huh. we started. That's how we played. That's what we did when we started playing, and that's why we loved it. Yeah, yeah. You're breathing, yeah, you got that hypnotic sort of groove when you're bre and the drums are breathing, and you're breathing with the drums, and I mean that—that's where the magic is. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally. It's it's great to be reminded <laughs> when. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you because uh, you know you reminded me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, but uh, yes. Uh, every time I'm in the room here with with uh, with a singer singing in a band, I feel like. This really is the essential, important thing. Whether or not we get the take we want today, I don't care. I can. I know it's coming. You know yeah, what I mean? There you go. Yeah. No, that's yeah, cool. It's, no, it's, good. So you've got lots going on right now. You're still recording. You got some projects in the in the can, as they say. Uh, there's always stuff cooking. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm slowly trying to get back to just making goofing around for myself again. Even right. though you know, there's not really. A, it's hard to have a reason to do that, but uh, apart from just the, the that little whisper that you get, yeah, oh, that's <laughs> stay but engaged. I, I do love working with other folks, uh, and and I feel honestly blessed to have worked with uh, work with the people and 
that I'm yeah. working with. Well, and you bring all your experiences to bear and all your musical sensibility, which I'm sure they appreciate too. And to, between the two of those things, you come up with something that's worth listening to, right? Hope so. I mean, yeah. most of it is, yeah, most of it is, as you know, is just listening and then trying to respond, right? <laughs> yeah. And trying to capture the flavor and the feel and then listen to what's coming out the speakers. So what you have in your brain and then trying to get that to come out the speakers is a very difficult and arduous task at times, but uh, that's what we yeah. do. So, so let I me ask it. you, what would you change if, if you could look back over the last 45 years, what would you change if you could go back? That's a good question. I think I would change myself a little bit. Like I yeah. would change, I'd, I'd try to, I wish I could just take my brain right now and put it into that 18 year old body. <laughs> so, you, know? you and everybody else, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, some things about that 18 year old, I, I really appreciate, you know, but I think a lot of those things I still have, like I still have this nerve, I think in there somewhere just to say, well, so no one else is doing this. You know, where's my confirmation going to come from? It's well, going to come great. from nowhere, but what's, just doing what, it. What's the old saying? Uh, don't let fear and common sense hold you back from the things that you really want to do. There you go. Good. That one. Good. Yeah. I'm writing that down. Can you say it a bit slower? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Not as quick as I used to uh, be. That's funny. Um, no. So would I change? Uh, no, I think I would just change the way I, I, um, I would, I would think I would be less, uh, I would take away some of the anxiousness that I had in those days, you okay. know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's made, you know, and some of the, most of the relationships I've still maintained. So it's not like you, I yeah. regret, you know, parting or anything with people, even, even when labels were closing, it was kind of like, adios, amigo. What are you going to do? Right. So yeah. Amigo. Oh, yeah. It's funny that you speak about being anxious at times, and I, I felt that too. And I think part of that is a function of age. Like once I got older, I thought, you know what? I'm me. I'm just going to do the best I can, and I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm not going to have anxiety about things that I can't change or that can't do anything about. I'll be the best I can be, and I'll leave it at that. But when you're 25 years old, you're thinking, oh, I don't know if they like me, and I got to do yeah. this and that. And you're just more keyed up, right? Yeah. So it's not not, not quite thinking straight. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, uh, I think also another thing I realized, you know, in those uh, years, even into the 90s to a degree, was that um, there wasn't a lot of sleep to be had one right. way or another. Either I was too excited about something, so I'm getting up at three o'clock in the morning to get back at it, <laughs> yeah, <there you laughs> or, <laughs> or three o'clock in the morning, I'm thinking, now what are you going to do, merit? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's like... <laughs> It's not a great gig for for uh, sleep. Right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> One way or another, you're even when you're feeling good. There's kind of like a, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's partly a like uh, maybe there's I could be on the on some kind of a spectrum with that sort of particular disorder. But, Perhaps, but, I, but your I've, brain is working when you're trying to sleep, right? You're still thinking yeah. of things, so. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. Well, no, I appreciate that. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing a bunch of this stuff with a great conversation and, uh, some insights into what you're doing. You sound like you're happy or in a good place in life. I think so. I think, I don't know if it's got been, even though it was the golden age, then I sort of feel in another 10 years, I'm going to be saying the same thing about now. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's an old yeah. saying too, the good old days are right now. 
like live in the present. And I, you know, I, I like reflecting back on things, but you got to be in a happy place right now. That's the main goal in life. I would assume is in as much as you can be. Yeah. Well, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. There you go. That's right. <laughs> as, as the man said. Many thanks to my guest, Scott Merritt, for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his many musical adventures and accomplishments. More information is available at scottmerritt.com. Quite a nice website, lots of information on there. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And we also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you're hearing on this show. Until next time, I'm Dan Herrick.